Chapter Ten of the Cinder Pond by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten: The Arrival. In the morning, Jean dressed again in her new clothes. Then the travelers had breakfast. By this time, you may be sure, Jean was very grateful for her father's past instructions and table manners. They had proved particularly useful in the dining car where Mr. Duvall had added a few more lessons to fit napkins, finger-bowls, and lamb-chops. After a leisurely meal, they got into a street-car, in which they rode for perhaps twenty minutes, along paved streets lined with high buildings, or large houses very close together. Then they got out and walked along several blocks of very hard pavement, until they came to a large gray house with a tall iron fence. They climbed a number of stone steps leading to a tightly closed, forbidding door. "'Your grandfather lives here,' said Mr. Duvall, ringing the bell. A very stiff butler opened the door, ushered them in, and told them to be seated in a very stiff reception room, while he presented the letter that Mr. Duvall had handed him. Jean eyed the remote ceiling with wonder and awe. The butler returned presently with six persons at his heels, they had evidently risen hastily from the breakfast table, for two of them had brought their napkins with them. A very tremulous old man, a large, rather handsome woman, a stout but decidedly mild-looking gentleman, two tall girls and a boy, all looking as if they had just had a shock of some kind. They did not shake hands with Mr. Duvall. They all gazed instead at Jean, a great many eyes for so small a target. Jean could feel herself shrinking under their piercing glances. For what seemed like a very long time, no one spoke. But, oh, how they looked and looked and looked! Finally, Mr. Duvall broke the embarrassing silence. "'You have read my letter?' he asked, addressing the older man. "'Yes.' "'Then pardon me if I suggest that you grant me an interview apart from these young people. I have much to say to you, Mr. Huntington.' "'In here,' said the mild gentleman, opening a door. "'Remain where you are, Jeanette,' prompted her father. Jeanette, left alone with the strangers, inspected them with interest. The girls looked like their mother, she decided, rather smooth and polished on the outside, like whitefish, for instance, with round, hard, grayish eyes. The boy's eyes were different, yellow, she thought, or very pale brown, his upper lip lifted in a queer way, as if nothing quite pleased him. They were all rather colorless as to skin. She had seen children, there had been several on the train, in fact, whose looks were more pleasing. She began to wonder after a while if somebody ought not to say something. Was it her place to speak? But she couldn't think of a thing to say. She felt relieved when the three young Huntingtons began to talk to one another, now and again she caught a familiar word, but many of their phrases were quite new to her. At any rate, they were not speaking French. She had heard her father speak that. She had heard too little slang to be able to recognize or understand it. Jean had risen from her chair because her father had risen from his. She thought now that perhaps she ought to resume her seat. But no one had said, as old Captain always did, "'Set right down, honey, and stay as long as ye like.' Visiting old Captain was certainly much more comfortable. Still doubtful, Jean took a chance. She backed up and sat down. 
but Harold, yielding to one of his sudden malicious impulses, jerked the chair away. Of course she landed on the floor. Worst of all, her skirt pulled up, and there, for all the world to see, was a section of frayed rope dangling from below her knee. The shoestring showed, too. For half a dozen seconds the young Huntingtons gazed in silence at this remarkable sight. Then they burst into peals of laughter. The fact that Jean's eyes filled with tears did not distress them. They continued to laugh in a most unpleasant way. Jean scrambled to her feet, found her chair, and sat in it. "'Who are you, anyway?' asked the boy. "'The letter you sent in gave the family a shock, all right, and we've just had another. Elastic would be expensive where you came from. Or is that the last word in stocking supporters? Hey, girls?' His sisters tittered. Poor Jean writhed in her chair. No one had ever been unkind to her. Even Mrs. Shannon, whose tongue had been sharp, had never made her shrink like that. "'I am Jeanette Duvall,' returned the unhappy visitor. "'My mother was Elizabeth Huntington. This is where my grandfather lives.' "'Goodness!' exclaimed the taller of the two girls, whose name was Pearl. She must be related to us. Elizabeth Huntington is the aunt that we aren't allowed to mention, isn't she? asked the younger girl. Yes, returned the boy. She ran away and married a low-down Frenchman, and my grandfather turned her out. That old gardener we had two years ago used to talk about it. He said she was the best of all the Huntingtons, but of course he was crazy. Say, Clara, said the older girl, We'll be late for school. You too, Harold. The three deserted Jean as unceremoniously as they did the furniture. Left alone, Jean looked about her. The floor was very smooth and shiny. There were rugs that looked as if they might be interesting close to. There were chairs and tables with very slender, high-polished legs. There was a large mirror built into the wall. Part of the time she had seen six cousins instead of three, and a big fireplace with a white and gold mantle. "'That's a queer kind of stove,' thought Jean, noting the gas log. After a thousand years, it seemed to Jean, the four grown-ups returned. Her father came first. "'You are to stay here for five years,' said he, taking her hands in his. "'After that we shall see. "'We have all decided that it is best for you to be here with your mother's people.' They have consented to care for you. I shall pay as I can for what you need. For the rest, you will be indebted to the kindness of your grandfather. I need not tell you, my Jean, to be a good girl. You will write to me often, and I will write to you. And now, good-bye. I must go at once to make my train. He kissed Jean, first on one cheek, then on the other, French fashion, then, with a gesture so graceful and comprehensive that Jean flushed with pride to see it, Leon Duval took leave of his relatives-in-law. "'He isn't a low-down Frenchman, and I know it,' was her comforting thought. Poor child, the rest of her thoughts were not so comforting. Five years! Not to see her wonderful father again for five years! Not to see good-natured Molly or Michael or... "'Sammy or Annie or Patsy. "'Why, Patsy would be a great big boy in five years. "'There would be no one to make clothes for the children, 
no one to make Annie into a lady. She had firmly intended to do that. Unselfish might that she was, her first distressing thoughts were for the other children. "'A maid will come for you presently,' said a large, smooth lady, addressing Jean, "'and will show you your room. I will look through your clothes later to see what you need. I am your Aunt Agatha. This is your Uncle Charles. This is your grandfather. I must go now to see about your room.' Her Uncle Charles nodded carelessly in her direction, looked at his watch, and followed his wife. The room to which the maid escorted Jean was large, with cold gray walls, a very high ceiling with white doors. The brass bed was wide, very white and smooth. The pillows were large and hard. The towels that hung beside the stationary basin looked stiff and uninviting. Jean wondered if one were supposed to unfold those towels. It seemed a pity to wrinkle their polished surface. Altogether, it was not a cozy room, not more than Mrs. Huntington was a cozy person. Jean turned hopefully to the large window. There was another house very close indeed. The gray brick wall was not beautiful, and the nearest window was closely shuttered. Where, asked Jean, turning to the maid who still lingered, is the lake? The lake? exclaimed the maid. Why, there isn't any lake. There's a small river, they say, downtown somewhere. I never saw it. Pretty dirty, I guess. When your trunk comes, push this button, and I'll unpack for you if you like. There's your suitcase. You can use these drawers for your clothes. Maybe you'd like to put them away yourself. I'll go now. Jean was glad that she had her suitcase to unpack. It was something to do. But when she opened it, kneeling on the floor for that purpose, she found that it contained two articles that had not been there earlier in the morning. She remembered that her father had closed it for her on the train. Perhaps he had put something inside. There was a small new purse containing a few coins, two dollars altogether. It seemed a tremendous sum to Jean. The other parcel seemed vaguely familiar. Jean removed the worn paper covering. Oh, she breathed rapturously. There was her mother's beautiful lace handkerchief, wrapped about the lovely little miniature of her mother. Her father, who had cherished these treasures beyond anything, had given them to her. And he had not told her to take good care of them. He had known that she would. Oh, Daddy, she whispered, it was good of you. When Jean, who had had an early breakfast, had come to the conclusion that she was slowly but surely starving to death, the maid, whose name proved to be Maggie, escorted her to the dining room. In spite of her father's instructions, she made mistakes at the table, principally because there were bread-and-butter knives and bouillon spoons invented since the days of Duval's young manhood. At least, however, she didn't eat with her knife. Unhappily, whenever she did the wrong thing, one or another of her cousins laughed. That made her grandfather frown. Some way, embarrassed Jean was glad of that. She was to learn that her cousins were much better trained in such matters as table manners than in kind and courteous ways toward other persons. Their mother was conventional at all times. She couldn't have used the wrong fork. But there were certain well-bred persons who said that Mrs. Huntington had the very worst manners of anybody in her set, 
that she never thought of anybody's feelings but her own. But the self-satisfied lady was far from suspecting any such state of affairs. She thought herself a very nice lady, and considered her children most beautifully trained. Happily, by watching the others, Jean, naturally bright and quick, soon learned to avoid mistakes. As she was also naturally kind, her manners were really better in a short time than those of the young Huntingtons. Her new relatives, particularly the younger ones, asked her a great many questions about her former life. Had she really never been to school? Weren't there any schools? Was the climate very cold in northern Michigan? Were the people very uncivilized? Were they Indians or Eskimo? What was her home like? What was the cinder pond? Sometimes the children giggled over her replies. Sometimes they looked scornful. Almost always both Mr. and Mrs. Huntington appeared shocked. It wasn't so easy to guess what old Mr. Huntington thought. End of chapter 10